my life fades. The vision dims. All that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos. Ruined dreams. This wasted land. Joshua Gayu. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for being here today. Not a problem, sir. I got your name right, didn't I? Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> and uh, points to you, because people usually don't. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank you for uh, talking with me today. And you um, are a writer of post-apocalyptic fiction, and you've written a series of for books. Now. For now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in this story that I'm doing right now, which is post-apocalyptic, but I don't know if I'm going to stay specifically in this genre, you know. Oh, really? I've got, no, no, I've, I've, uh, I've got a, a sci-fi story that I would like to do after this. Um, maybe a couple of those. Uh, I, I, I've got at least one fantasy story that's been banging around in my head since I was a kid, so I... Right now, I'm kind of just having fun because I'm very new to this, mm -hmm. and I think that I'd like to explore a few different genres and just see how it feels to play around in each of them. But right now, uh, post-apocalyptic is, is it resonates quite a bit with me, uh, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So, tell me about when you first realized that you wanted to be a writer. When did you first say, you know what, this is what I want to do? I'm not convinced that I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I kind of wonder about that. I wonder about other writers if they feel like they're a writer. You know, if they, I guess some people do it for for a living, and that's their primary source of income. And maybe if that was the case for me, then I would feel more natural saying, "Yes, I'm a writer." Um, writing right now is something that I do to keep myself uh, sane. I enjoy it. I, I need to be doing something. You know. Um, I've got my, my grown-up job that I do mm -hmm. uh, as an engineer, and that, that pays the bills and uh, keeps the roof over the head. Uh, and it does pretty good at that. Um, but you, you can't just be what you're doing at your job, or at least I can't, because I'll just go nuts. So I need some sort of creative outlet that doesn't have to do with avionics or any of that stuff. And writing... Writing is something that I've always kind of uh, had an aptitude for. Um, I, I never had dreams of being a writer or a well-known writer um, or, or uh, fame. Never really thought about that. I just, I like to create things. And um, for whatever reason, um, this story that I'm writing right now seems to be, uh, it seems to have some legs. Um, I've tried to start novels for, you know, years. I think there's, there's, isn't that like the long-running gag, the, uh, 
the person is always going to, they're always writing that novel. I'm going to, I'm going to work on my novel. Mm-hmm. Yep. They've been working on the same novel for a decade or something. Right. So since I was 14, I always had this idea that I was going to write a book and, you know, I'd start it and you get a few pages into it and then, uh, you lose driver focus because you don't know how to plan a story out or you don't know how to drive a plot or, or, uh, you, you run out of steam. Um, and I, I really think that at the point of my life that I'm in now, uh, you know, being pretty close to 40, I've got some life experience behind me. So now I think I've got um, enough wisdom to, to tell a story that makes sense, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Uh, and then now, um, having, achieved, having achieved other things, that uh, were, were like long projects, you know, uh, chippers, right? You don't, you don't just, you don't complete it in one day. It's like months and months and months of concerted effort. You know, my professional life and other things. You get down, you sit down to write, and you kind of realize, well, this is just, this is just a long task like anything else. So you, you plan it out, and you kind of execute a strategy to get it finished. Um, and it, it, it all kind of seems incidental to me uh, where I'm at right now. It's very bizarre to me that, uh, that I've got a lot of people reading it now. <laughs> but you're having fun doing it. I mean, this, it, it's, not, it's more than a hobby, right? I mean... Um, well, at what point are you... At what point do you have to stop calling something that you love to do a hobby and start calling it work? I... I I don't know that I'd call it, well, first of all, it is work. No matter how much I love to do it, and I really do, um, there's always going to be parts of it that you don't enjoy, and that's true for any job. Um, my day job, I, I love it very much, and I happen to be good at it, but there, you're never 100% happy 100% of the time. You, you hit those points that are a slog. And the same thing is true in writing. There's, there's parts of writing where you get to it and... and um, it could be anything. It could be uh, 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 plotting out where the story is going to go beforehand, before you even sit down to write. Or there could be certain characters that are less interesting to you as the author, but they're also critical to the story. So, okay, I gotta, I gotta do the work on these guys and and find something about them to make them interesting. I've got to make them interesting to me because if they're not interesting to me, they're not going to be interesting to the reader. Um, so sometimes that ends up being work. Uh, there are portions of the story that you might not be interested in uh, to tell because that kind of stuff doesn't interest you. But um, a, a story needs to flow. You know, there, there needs to be action points and then dialogue points and then there needs to be world building. There needs to be uh, uh, character dynamics. And there's always going to be one of those things that any writer is not too excited to get into, you know? And so that becomes work. And you just understand that. You say, okay, well, th- this is the part that work th- that's work. It kind of sucks, and I have to slog through it, but I'll get done with it, and then I'll be onto the fun stuff after that. So, I mean, in that sense, it feels like work to me. Um, as far as sales and what the books are doing, the, the numbers are pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. Uh, I'm, I'm not anywhere near what I would what I would have to make in order to um, replace or eclipse what I make in my my professional job so so I mean that 
if, if there's anybody at work uh, that's hearing this right now, no, I'm not looking at quitting anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, the, the 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 money uh, the money aspect of it is fun, uh, just because it's nice to have a little extra floating around. Now it's like, um, you know, if my wife wants some extra thing that we hadn't planned for. We can say, well, yeah, go get that, because here's here's a little extra dollars that we hadn't planned on uh, to begin with, and and those little incidental things are a little bit bigger than we're used to, so that's nice. But, I, again, it's it's so hard for me to classify what this is. Um, it, feels, it feels wrong for me to call it a hobby, because now I've got people depending on me to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a, when I was writing the first book, uh, commune. That was just me playing around and doing whatever the hell I wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was okay. Well, let's let's start developing the story and let's see if I've got something with legs. And and I guess it kind of turned out that I did, but nobody knew I was writing it. Nobody had any clue. I didn't even tell my wife I was writing it until I think I was three quarters of the way done because I was embarrassed to be writing it. That uh, that that felt embarrassing. To someone who, you know, I do a, a respectable job, and, and I, you know, I, I do these grown-up things all day, and now I'm now I'm writing a book. So many people say they're going to write a book. I don't want anybody to know about that because they then they roll their eyes. Oh, there's that guy who's writing a book, right? <laughs> and um, I didn't want to tell anybody about it until I knew it was going to be done. It's kind of the, to me, it's kind of the same thing uh, where you have people that decide I'm going to lose weight. So the first thing they do is they run around and they tell all their friends, I'm on a diet now. And then the friends tell them, oh, good for you, that's fantastic, right? Mm. And then they don't actually lose the weight because they've gone and they've told their friends they're losing the weight. All of their friends have told them how wonderful that is. They've gotten that positive reinforcement without earning it, you know what right. I mean? I wanted to have that thing done, or at least close to done, and then maybe I'd start telling people about it. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, uh, maybe a few people read it. And uh, there, there was kind of a thought in the back of my mind that, that maybe it gets bigger than I had planned. Maybe uh, more people start reading it. But that's one of those things that you don't really want to think about. One, because it feels um, grandiose or egotistical. And also, two, because for things like that, you know, I hate to think of myself as superstitious. I'm really not. But for stuff like that, God damn it, I can be. So I just... I tried to focus on just riding the sucker and, and not worry about any of that, any of that other stuff. And that all kind of took care of itself. That's really interesting. Which, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that, don't worry about that. There's a bit of a delay. We're going to do that a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, when you were talking about uh, some of the things you don't like doing uh, uh, as far as the writing process and stuff, <clears throat> I remember asking you after I read the first book uh, if you had served in the military. And I was really surprised when you said you hadn't, because and, and I was re- really shocked because y- you really got it down. And and so uh, I was wondering uh, what your research process was for that, and if the if researching that sort of thing is one of the things you you enjoy, or kind of one of the things where oh god, now I got to look up all this shit, you know, that I that I'm writing about and. Certain aspects of that were a giant pain in the ass, but there were other aspects that I really did enjoy. Um, 
one of the one of the things I'm 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 doing a lot of things in these books. There's a lot of things that I'm playing with, you know, outside of the main uh, plot arc that I'm the, the point that I'm trying to get across. Uh, but one of the things that I that I was interested in doing very early on was giving a, a, an honest and fair representation of military in this kind of genre or platform. Because I've seen it so many times in, in books and in movies and in, in, in whatever else. Um, as soon and it, and it was always bizarre to me that as soon as society falls apart and everything starts to break down, in so much of the media, the military suddenly become these evil henchmen that, that, that are just going off the rails and they're abusing everybody and being horrible. That, may, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, people who serve in the military, especially today, they've spent a great deal of time in some of the most violent and, and, and horrible places of the earth. They're just dangerous places. Uh, when when you think of a, a shit-hits-the-fan scenario, well, that's just like Tuesday to a soldier or right. a Marine. Mm-hmm. They're used to it. So if things like that, if, if that kind of breakdown happened over here, I think, yes, it would be of, of psychological impact to them, but I think they would adapt very quickly because they're used to operating in that kind of situation. And then on top of that, these are not brainwashed um, automaton people. They're our own... Citizens, there are kids, our brothers, sisters, daughters, and I, I just don't see that they would suddenly lose their mind. I, I think that that those would be the ones that you want to get friendly with really quick and be buddy buddy with, because they'll help keep you safe. So I, I I wanted to explore that in these books. I wanted to show um, military that were not car, uh, cartoons. Um, and a big part of that, uh, there, there's research and then there's also a kind of absorption through osmosis. Uh, my father uh, went to Vietnam and he was uh, both airborne and also a ranger. Uh, he, they they kind of shifted him into a, a ranger group. Uh, and he, he went and did the ranger training as well. Mm-hmm. So he was 82nd airborne, 101st. And uh, he was a five-o deuce Ricondo. And I had stories from him growing up. And, and I heard about how they were treated when they came home from service and, and like for them. Um, and then also, I've got a lot of good friends that are in the military. Um, you've read the second book. Correct. So uh, the, uh, the CH-46 crew chief, Sergeant Brandt, that's a real person. That's a very good friend of mine. And that story about the flight surgeon, that's a true story. That really happened. Um, so it's its good to have friends like that because I can go and I can bounce ideas off of them. I used to ask Scott about things like that. Um, my my character, Gibbs, uh, a lot of his his behavior, ideas, and mannerisms are based on Scott. His his uh, energy, his his fidgetiness, his, his hang-ups about being clean and, and uh, always sanitizing. Scott's just like this. And uh, it was good because I could ask him. Well, you know, let's say you're in this kind of a scenario. And Scott wasn't—he wasn't in for you. He was a—he was a crew chief. But I, you know, I'd ask him. Okay, you're in this situation. How do you handle it? Or, or what? What makes sense? What? What makes sense for for a marine uh, to behave? And uh, I, I think you'll see that too in in my books. That um, 
I, I'm very careful about the different branches and how deep I go. The Marines, I feel very safe going deeper into because I have, uh, you know, a Marine at my disposal that I can talk to and really get in it. You know, it's always the real small details that, that screw you up. Those stolen valor assholes can never pull it off, right? Because the minute you start asking them questions, right? Like, what was your MOS? They can't give you a number. Where did you serve? Where were you stationed? What is what does the base in Okinawa look like? What does it look like down in Hawaii? And they can't tell you those things. And it's those little details that you've got to get right in the book. Um, because people who were actually there and did that stuff, they they can pick it up really quick. And well, then it's ruined for them because it's it's so deeply a part of their life. I was going to say, I absolutely agree with that. And one of the, um, you know, especially with, you know, post-apocalyptic, dystopian, um, military sci-fi, things like that, <clears throat> there's a lot of military folks that read that. That's what they're drawn to. That's what I was always yeah. drawn to. And so, you know, you're reading along in this book, and they they get things wrong, and it just immediately pops you right out of the story. Yeah, you know, it reminds you you're reading a book. Exactly. And so when you do read a book and you see these little things, you know, little things that you used to say, little, th- you know, uh, little things that used to happen, and, you're, and, that, and that's why I thought, well, oh, this guy's a vet. He's, he's, he obviously served in the military. And yeah. so I really appreciate you um, getting those little things right, you know. and, and uh, I, I'm really happy to hear that I, that I did a good job. Um, you know, I, there, there's always the chance that somebody pops up and says, you know, Hey, you dumbass, you got this wrong. And, and I'm waiting for that day. Um, and you know, the best I'm going to have, if anybody ever tells me that is, man, I'm sorry. You know, I wasn't there and I didn't get it right. I should have done better. But so far, so far vets like yourself have told me that, that they appreciate, uh, how I've handled it. And it it makes me really glad to hear because, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, not not the entire books, but certain things like like uh, the character Gibbs, mm-hmm. uh, and then later on uh, when we get into the third book, uh, Jeffries and and uh, some of the other characters. Um, that's I you know I, I I well like Gibbs is kind of a love letter to the Marines. I got a soft spot for Marines. I, you know I have a soft spot for the Army and the Navy too, because I know people that served in all those branches. And, uh, you know, it, to, for me, it doesn't matter what you did when, when you were in the service, right? You could have been a, a total hard ass, uh, you know, a grunt. You could have just been an admin guy. You could have been, you know, your whole job could have been filling gas tanks. But you know what? You still did more than I did. You know, I'm just a civilian. I never served. I never nutted up. Uh, I've got all kinds of accomplishments in, in this private sector, but there's a whole class of people in this country that, that to me, they, they volunteer to go uh, pick up a rifle and then potentially be sent to dangerous parts of the world and be shot at. And that's, that's a, a level of, of sacrifice that, you know, I, I think a lot of people are starting to understand it now. You see it a lot. You see it more. My dad never came home and had anybody tell him, thank you for your service. But he also probably would have turned his nose up at that, too. He's a very unique man. But it, it's just, I, we can kind of see it. Um, 
but I think that understanding what veterans go through and who they are and, and, and how they're different from us is an ongoing process. Um, the, the way most soldiers and Marines come home, um, they're, they're kind of social dinosaurs compared to sure. what media would have you believe is the proper way to behave, right? You know, you know, they're, very, they're very coarse, very brash people. But I, I, I don't, uh, I, I just can't assign a, a value to these things the way, uh, uh, I, I guess, mainstream media or, or other people do, where they say, oh, this is just categor- categorically bad, the way these people talk, or the way these people talk about, um, the, you know, the, the, the Arabs or the Muslims they've gone to fight. It's, it's bad the way they talk about women. And I think, man, you know... Um, Maybe some of this stuff is not comfortable, but uh, this this is an entire different life experience, and and it's it's completely unique. And I don't think that a lot of us are very uh, qualified to comment on it, frankly, unless we've done done it. Yeah, um, I don't know. You there, know, you, you have there's you, different levels too. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about like like uh, abusive of. Um, uh, Prisoners, right? I mean, right. that's whole. But what? What? I, here, I'll, I'll give you for instance, right? When I was writing uh, my second book with Gibbs, there's there's a lot of parts in that book where I was thinking, am I going too far? Um, is is Gibbs going to be labeled a misogynist character, and then and then people are just going to discount what he says or does after that? And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted Gibbs to come up, come across as as crass and incredibly vulgar. Because that's how Marines are. That, that's just how they are. But I also wanted it to be clear that there was somebody beneath that, that uh, persona that, that, that uh, was a very thoughtful man. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, compared to some of the other characters that, that live on the commune, he, he's a much more thoughtful man than they are. There's certain people that wouldn't think twice of, of killing somebody that they thought was a threat, whereas Gibbs is a lot less likely to do that because he's been to those those horrible places and he knows what kind of toll that takes on a person so he's sure. he's more resistant to those things yeah. you know well i don't I, you did an excellent job i mean you really well, thank, did and thank um, you. i really wanted to to reinforce the point that point because that that's just one of the things that really struck me about that about both the first and the second book um with that being the case one of the thing one of the other things i wanted to talk to you about was kind of these uh stories uh you know kind of like a real life apocalypse um as opposed to like a zombie apocalypse or you know kind of like a fantasy apocalypse and uh i was it, it, it's nice <laughs> for me it's nice to see books that aren't zombie books <laughs> and um i'm kind of I, i'm kind of old school in the in in uh, in the books that I read, I'm, I'm still big on the, you know, just a good old nuclear Armageddon is, you know, still my favorite, you know, favorite way to go. And, um, you know, a lot of EMP stuff, uh, a lot of plague stuff. And, um, one of the things I enjoyed about, about commune was you didn't have it as just, cause I've always thought it was, it has to be kind of a perfect storm. It can't just be one thing. And so exactly. you, you, you know, went at it from an angle of, of kind of that perfect storm. And, um, 
I just wanted to tell you that that was one of the things I really enjoyed uh, about the series. But one, I, I was wondering if you could talk about your feelings um, uh, as far as all that is concerned. You know, the, the kind of the, the zombie fantasy end of the world versus the you know EMP plague nukes thing, sure. you know, things like that. Well, I mean, zombies. Uh, zombies kind of had their renaissance in film and, and you better come up with something unique. You can't just do the usual, um, you know, shambling brain eaters or, or the fast zombies or the slow zombies or whatever. It was kind of one of the things that occurred uh, to me. Um, my my books and, and the world that I created were kind of a genesis of, of me consuming other apocalypse stories, right? Um, one that I have to bring up and I have to keep bringing up in, is uh, the Mountain Man series by Keith C. Blackmore. Um, if, if anybody has not read that book, my God, I, I truly recommend it. He had such a unique idea when he went to go write those books. He thought, I want to do Robinson, Robinson Crusoe, but with zombies. And it was, it was an incredibly unique story. Uh, it, it was a very character driven story and, and Blackmore himself, he's more of a, of a horror and fantasy writer. And he just kind of said, Oh, you know, I, I can do something with zombies. That's fun. And he, man, he really did. It was, it was really unique stuff. Put his book aside. Um, what occurred to me was that in so many of the zombie movies, shows, whatever, the zombies always end up being the least fun part. Or, or the least interesting part. And and I point to The Walking Dead as, as the perfect example of that, right? Zombies, by this point, they're, they're just like this, this nuisance that they show up every once in a while if you need a plot device. The meat of that show, and, you know, my, my interest kind of comes in and comes out on that show. Um, there's, there's aspects of it that I really like, and there's also stuff that just drives me crazy, and I, I you know, I have to turn it off. Mm-hmm. But... The zombies, yeah, you put the yeah, zombies. <laughs> Never mind. It's it's the the activity between the humans and the different factions that that really get people talking, right? That's that's the interesting stuff. And when I was when I was putting my story together, that was what I wanted to get to. That was the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to talk about people living in a world where they weren't being governed by rules anymore. Because I think you get very interesting behaviors in that kind of situation. When suddenly all the lights are turned out, you've got all of the the toys and the weapons and, and the the relics of, of this dead world that are just laying around for any asshole to come and pick up. And people coalesce into their own little subgroups and, and there's this reversion of tribalism and and they revert into otherism, you know. Mm-hmm. Those bastards over there want the same water that I do. They must be evil for some reason. That kind of thing, that was what I wanted to explore. And so what I really needed was a way to break society really fast and just get it the hell out of the way. Because I didn't want to deal with that. I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't want to deal with the fall. Uh, Stephen King, I thought, did a pretty good job with it in The Stand. I liked uh, the, the first half of his book because he, he went very uh, deeply into the fall of things and what that process looks like. And 
uh, there were some things that I thought were pretty good, and then I thought some there was other things that he uh, probably didn't address as, as thoroughly as I would have liked. But you know, the man had a story to tell, so you know. Uh, but I, you know, I knew okay. I, what, what I what I had to come up with really was, um, I need a greatly reduced population, be, because uh, what I wanted to deal with was a situation where where resources are abundant, but only for a while, right? Um, early in the series, the the tension was going to be created by this this clock that was always going to be k- ticking down. Like you've got enough things to keep you alive right now. But you're running out of them so fast, and you've got to find a way to get back to, you know, those old world survival skills if you want to be somebody who gets to stay. And then the more things run out, the more contentious things we're going to be. Um, so the the flare, this concept of the flare, I, I was reading up on coronal mass ejections, and I thought, well, that's a good way to kick things off if you get a nice big one and. Uh, you know, of course, we would recover from something like that if that's all that happened. You'd have about, oh, you know, six to eight months of, of really awful living, but that would be about it. So um, what I really did was was uh, I basically ripped off Stephen King, right, because that was how <laughs> everything came to Right, because that's how everything came to a head in, in uh, the stand when mm-hmm. flu came out and smashed everybody. So I thought, well, that... that that could be the reason why that kicks off. The flare comes, uh, kills all the power systems. All you know, we've become so fundamentally fundamentally dependent on technology, just to do every little thing. When somebody just suddenly throws the switch on that, you figure the the safety systems break down, and somewhere somebody's doing something naughty with viruses, and that gets loose. And that was that's all I need, man. I, I, I just need to suggest that, get out, wipe out the population, and then I can get to the fun stuff, which is which is dealing with how do you survive after that and what kind of world do you want to build when you have no restraints, no limitations, right? Right. One of the things I was going to ask you was uh, you have some – you're able to, to write really – good strong female characters and i'm wondering uh was that difficult for you to write really good characters of the opposite sex i well uh it's a challenge certainly mm-hmm. um yeah you, you, you kind of walk a fine line between uh strength and, and femininity um as 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 a man, I understand masculine strength very well, but there's there's a whole layer in within feminine strength that that's very difficult for me, and I think the average male to comprehend. Um, and I you know I, I see in other movies or other stories, uh, people tend to display feminine strength as as basically a uh, I, I, I guess an adapt uh, an adoption of, of male behavior, and I, I don't I don't think that's one hundred percent correct. I know that some women go that way, but um, I there, there's I think there's a lot more to being a, a woman than than just oh I can do that better than a man, so I'm going to do that. I I, I I think there's so much more complexity than that. 
um, with the Amanda character, um, I got a lot of help from my wife on her. Because, and, and she still kind of helps me. She proofs the books to this day. Um, although Amanda is a much more, she's much more cemented in my head now. So I, I, I kind of know how she would do things and how she'd behave. But, but in, in the beginning, um, I was very timid writing her. Uh, because I didn't want to do anything that, that felt, um, oh, disingenuous, you know. I didn't want her to feel like, well, I wanted her to feel like a, a woman, goddammit, and, and, and not something that, that, that a man had just clearly dreamt up, right? Uh, I wanted her to have somewhere that she had come from that was believable. I wanted her to get to somewhere that made sense, Um in, in in my books, she has a reputation in the group as being one of the one of the hardest people in the group. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she intimidates a lot of people, and uh, I, I think that has to do with where she's come from and the things that she's been subjected to in the, in the story and what she's she's survived. Um, and there's there's that that knife edge that you walk in in not turning her into somebody who's just bitter and ugly. And so what I do is I cheat. I put a lot of my wife in her. <laughs> not not a hundred percent, but there's things that I look for uh, th- the way my wife behaves because my wife is um, one of the strongest women I've ever met in my life, and she looks nothing like what um, modern feminism would tell you a strong woman looks like. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's very girly in so many ways, but she's stood up to some serious shit. And, uh, you know, she keeps chugging. Um, she does it with poise and grace. And she is, she is still, she's a very feminine woman. Despite that strength, there's, there's no confusing her with, with just some male analog with, you know, different plumbing. So I watch her a lot and I learn from her a lot. And I, I think I get a good idea of, of, what is right and what isn't right, what doesn't feel correct. And then I also, I have her read through a lot of my stuff. And she does, she finds things sometimes where she says, nah, I don't, that isn't correct. They wouldn't do that. So I, I go back and I touch it up. And then sometimes, you know, her and I kind of disagree. So I have to go a little bit out of, of what she suggests. And then she tells me I'm an idiot and we have a drink and move on. <laughs> Well, you know, I find that there's a pretty giant separation between what the media tells us people are supposed to be like or act like and how they are like in real life. <clears throat> and so um, yeah. um, I think you did a really good job at uh, creating um, these strong female characters um, and not falling into the trap of... Uh, making her what what the what the media tries to portray as being a strong female character, and um, I think it, and uh, I really appreciate that. My wife really appreciates it too because I let her read some of the book as well. Because I was oh. ta- I was telling her about this 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 Amanda character, and because uh, my wife is kind of the same way. Well, I'm not going to get into that anyway. Um. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I think foremost. Uh, the, the the female character must be competent 
And I, I think that gets kind of overlooked. And um, I, I think uh, if, if we're looking at, at some other examples of, of what we have in media today, the, uh, the Admiral Holdo character in, in uh, The Last Jedi is, I think, a perfect example of someone who was intended to be a strong female character but failed because she's incompetent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, you, if you look at the, the structure of, of the movie, she's a vice admiral, and uh, Poe is a captain. So I have to assume that, that their naval structure is very similar to our naval structure. So it goes, you know, admiral, uh, you know, then the rear admirals, vice admiral. Right under that is the captain. Poe is her direct report, and she is not sharing any of the planning with her command staff. That's gross incompetence. And, you know, no matter how much more you want to charge uh, politically the, the discussion about the film, you share your strategy with your command staff. And people who know these things, even if they haven't served, there's some general disconnect. Why didn't she tell them her plans? And so it starts making the, the, the audience ask questions about this character. Well, is she an idiot? Is she is she just vindictive? Uh, and and her competency comes into question. And we're asking all the wrong questions about her now. And she doesn't come off as as, as strong or brave or, or anything at all. And it's a it's a goddamn shame too. I started calling her Admiral Withholdo because she doesn't she holds all the goddamn information. I think it was just quick hackneyed, lazy writing. Combined with uh, you know Kathleen uh, Kennedy coming in with her with her magic hammer and smacking parts of the script, and it, it's it's a bummer because there were a lot of aspects of that movie that I think they they could have made work pretty well. Political discussion aside, as a story, it falls apart in so many ways. Are we going to start talking about Star Wars now? Well, I <laughs> because this, because this will this will turn into a three hour conversation. <laughs> we can, hey, I'm, I'm, I don't have any plans tonight. We can go as long as you want. <laughs> but no, I, I it that a a bit of what I've done in my stories, and some people would would some some readers who who didn't like my books uh, would disagree, I guess. But they're they're a refutation of of what's kind of becoming the norm in storytelling. I, I just I'm 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 trying to go in directions where. The average reader would see where my story is going and think, oh, God, I know what he's going to do. He's going he's gonna to do the thing where the person does this because I've seen it in a hundred different things. And then I would like to try to go not in a different direction just, just to surprise people because I feel that's cheap, but I try to go in a realistic direction but still make it dramatic. Um, I think sometimes I do okay. Other times I probably fuck it up, but, you know... <laughs> Nobody's perfect. <laughs> well, let's talk about your audiobooks. You have audiobook versions of book one and two. And yes. I've listened to the first one, and I'm sorry, I can't recall the narrator's name. R.C. Brick. Yeah, he did an amazing job. And uh, I had noticed when I was uh, reading through your website that um, the audiobooks um, were doing really well. Yeah, they're do- yes, they're doing a lot better than my ebooks and uh, my print books. 
Absolutely. Do you think that's simply because it's easier, you know, with my job uh, in the summertime, I'm working all by myself and I'm, I'm li- all I do is listen to audiobooks and podcasts. And so it makes it really easy to spend, you know, eight hours up in the mountains listening to an audiobook where I can't spend that time reading. So do you think I, it's as simple as that? I, th- I think it's a, a collection of factors. First of all, um, Mostly, it's due in part to, to the fact that it's narrated by R.C. Friggin Bray. Mm-hmm. He he has he's very popular. He has a, a massive following, a, a a massive loyal following, and and the reason is just because he's so goddamn good at what he does. Right. Uh, I love the story of how you got him. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, so this is, uh, I, I guess, uh, around March-ish of, uh, of uh, 2017. I had just finished my first book and published it, and I was trying to uh, not not get it noticed or, or break out or hit it big, but just you know get some more people uh, interested in it. And I was looking at how a lot of other independent writers um, would would market their material. And the whole concept or process of marketing to me is, is it just sounds like a miserable undertaking. Uh, I don't have the staying power nor the patience to do so. I, I work about uh, 10 hours a day at my, at my normal job, and then I come home. I'd rather spend time with my family instead of dicking around on the computer. So what I usually do is I, I look at what everybody else is doing, and then I try to find something different. Because there's always that first person who who found the new way, and it worked great for them, right? And then everybody else says, oh, what did he do? And they all go and copy that. And then they have varying degrees of success, but I think there's also diminishing returns. Because, you know, you you have one person who runs over it. It's like fishing. You like to fish? Mm -hmm. I like to catch. Yeah, catching's good. I, I enjoy that. But you see that, right? If, you, if you're on a big public fishing boat or up on a pier somewhere, right, and everybody's kind of spread out, right, you got one guy that caught something nice and fat over at the head of the pier. Mm-hmm. And he, he reels it up, and, you know, everybody else might be having a shit day and not, not getting any hits. But that one guy brings one up and takes pictures with it and stands there and, and, and you know, starts joking with his buddies and has a celebratory beer. And you see another uh, a whole collection of, of jackasses run over to his spot mm-hmm. and throw a hook in the water. That's where the fish are. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, do that. They don't catch anything. No. Then down on the other side of the pier, some guy catches a fish down there. And then all those jackasses run over there and they go stand <laughs> by him and throw their hooks in the water and they don't catch anything. And I feel like independent publishing and marketing is, is, is kind of like that, where somebody gets something that hits – and everybody says, oh, my God, let's all go do that. Right. And I don't want to go do that. So I was looking for something different. And it seemed to me that uh, audiobooks were a good way to distinguish myself from the herd. Everybody's out there. My God, I didn't, I didn't even realize uh, when I put my book out there and I started kind of swimming in the same waters that everybody else was. And I saw, I was like, oh, my God, everybody's just, they're, they're all with their hands up screaming, look at me, look at me, look at me, mm-hmm. and nobody's getting heard. It's just all this noise. Yeah. It's, you know, tweeting and, and this and that. It's like, oh, God, I'm never going to get any notice doing this. This ain't going to work. So 
uh, I was looking into audiobooks because there's there's a perception with audiobooks, right? Uh, any schmuck can write a book, publish it on Amazon or whatever, and put it out there, and that that shows in the quality of mm-hmm. the books. You go out there and you pick up a lot of that stuff, and you read a few pages and say, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't believe it! I'm not going to pay for this." But with an audiobook, there's production involved. There's production value. Somebody's putting money up for this thing. So there's this this perception of higher value with an audiobook. Because it's not just you that's trying to get that book out there. Somebody else believed in that book, too. They, they read it and said, we think we can make money with this because there's some quality of, of story here. And I think that, I think that bears out. Um, and, it, and it certainly has borne out for me. When I put my, uh, my first book out as an e-book or a print book, um, at first there was this, this massive uh, rash of purchases, right? Mm-hmm. That's all friends and family <laughs> that know me. And then that, that peters off very quickly. And then, uh, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of nothing. No sales, no, no anything at all, right? Nobody's buying anything. And it's, just, you know, I, I'd go to my, uh, my Amazon reports page and look at it. And, and instead of any, any numbers for that week, they just showed me pictures of crickets. And that was all we had. Oh, and I thought, well, damn, okay. And I started, I started thinking, well, do I need to up my marketing game? And I thought, no, I've got this audiobook coming. I got that in my back pocket. Let's just wait and see what happens. And, and yeah, it, it really took off. Again, due in large part because R.C. Bray was attached to the damn thing. But that thing climbed number one on Audible's post-apocalyptic charts. Really? Yeah, and it it stayed number one for quite a while too. Oh, that's outstanding! Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to watch that. I was very shocked because I you know I you don't want to assume that's going to happen, but yeah, for for post apocalypse genre, it it I think it's 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 dropped a bit. It's it's kind of petering out now. I think we're down to number seven now. But it was it was number one for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and then some other book would come and knock it out of the number one spot. And that that would persist for like three days, and then it would drop back down, and my book was back up in number one again. That was that was fun. That was gratifying, and I still haven't seen any kind of success like that in the more traditional, you know, ebook or print market. Um, so I think that uh, I, I I do think that there's a, a perception of uh, social acceptance with an audiobook. I have seen though that the, the audiences uh, for both seem to be kind of split. Um, Audiobook listeners don't tend to translate over to traditional sales, and vice versa. That's that's been my experience so far. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You you asked me to talk about getting Artsy Braid to do the book. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> tequila talking, bro. I I I will run my mouth. All right, let me let me so let me clue you. So okay, so I was looking into uh, audiobooks. It happened that at that time, and I had been a fan of Artsy Braid for a while. You hear so many people say this about him. They don't when they're looking for a new audiobook to check out. They don't go look for titles or authors. They go look for R.C. Bray. They, I want to see what books he's narrating and go get those. Because he also tends to to be careful about the books he selects too. He he has a good nose for what's good and what's going to be good. And he he protects his brand by staying away from some of the other. You know, he won't take a payday just because he can get some money. So he. Uh, He's he's doing an ask me anything on Reddit, 
and he, he posted about that and said, oh, I'm going to do this, ask me anything. Would you guys be interested in, in checking that out? I'm at the, at the time, I'm just a fan. He doesn't know me or anything. I said, hey, I was. So he does it that night, and, and my question was, it, it had to do with this. It, you know, hey, buddy, thanks for taking the time to do this. I, I, I've got a book, and, and I would like to get into the audio book game, but I don't have the disposable income to just throw at it because they, they can take as much as $10,000 to produce depending on what the narrators get for recorded hour, right? Uh, yeah, you know, if you're a good narrator, you could make from 500 to to $1,000 per recorded hour if it's money up front. And, uh, you know, my first book, Commune, that ended up being a, a nine-hour, 45-minute book. So that's some good cash mm-hmm. coming out of I'm just, you know, for something that's a hobby, I don't, I'm not going to throw that kind of money at it if there's, there's if it's, if I can't, Ensure my investment, right? I don't know if anybody's going to buy this thing. So I said, what are other ways to get into this? And he said, man, that's a great question. Um, this is not the right form for that. That's going to take too long to answer. So uh, here's, he, he said, here's my email address. Email me offline, and we'll talk about it, and uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the industry actually looks like to somebody who works in it. Thank you very much. That's very awesome of you. So I did. I left the AMA, went and wrote him an email, and basically the same question, uh, and left it at that. And, and he started talking about the and I learned a lot from him just uh, that evening in, the, in that email exchange. He said what things were like, what it was like to get into it, um, how a lot of different production houses like to operate. Um, but unbeknownst to me, at, at the same time while he was doing this, he went out and bought my my book, uh, my first copy. He got the ebook. And he read, uh, I think it was the first chapter or maybe the first two chapters that night. So the next day when I went into work, I had an email waiting for me where he said, uh, I've, I've purchased your book. I've read a couple of chapters. I'm doing your series. You have no say in the matter. We're going to produce this book. And I said, holy shit. I, I said, well, I have. I haven't written the other books, sir, you know. Uh, uh, you know you're, you're signing up for the whole thing? And he said, yeah, I want, I want to do these books. He said, I, 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 I like this so much. Um, and and he's, he's, Bob is very, uh, he's very, very sarcastic, very witty. So he's, he's kind of talking, talking the book up and saying what he liked about it. And then at the same time he says, but, you know, you got 300 pages to fuck it up. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's very... Uh, very, very sarcastic, but um, that has kind of blossomed into a really good working relationship. And uh, you know, today now I, I consider him a buddy. We we uh, email pretty frequently, and we work very closely on the production of these books too, because we uh, we do we do uh, we through his own company, Blue Heron Audio. So he's got his own private sound booth in his house, where he's recording all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he does a few chapters every day, and then he'll send them off to me for proofing, because we don't have, like, a proofing or quality mm-hmm. to buy. So he sends them off to me, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to him and proof him and compare him to the manuscript, and I'll do that, you know, like, I'll get home from work, or I might download a chapter at work and listen to one chapter during lunch before I get back into the, into the daily grind. And we just, we bang him out like that. And it's been, it's been really fun working with him. Now the um, the second book, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is supposed to, or the second audio book is supposed to be out uh, February this month, correct? Yeah, we're, well, 
It's either it's either going to be at the end of this month or at the early point of March. We're producing it right now. Okay. Okay. We're about we're about halfway through recording it. Uh, we've he's he's recorded and uh, corrected up to chapter fifteen, and I think the second book is like a thirty chapter book. So the 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 work was slowed down a little because he had some some computer crap out issues. He had to he had to order some new gear and uh, set his rig up again. He's got he's gotten all that shit together again, and we're we're kind of humming now. So I, I expect it to be out pretty soon. I also noticed that your uh, the third book uh, is available for pre order right now. I've actually obviously pre ordered it. Um, well, thank you. Oh well, <laughs> of course. Um, what? Uh, it, but I don't recall when that's coming out. I don't remember what it said. Um, the well, the ebook. So. It, Things have kind of gotten screwed up on Amazon. You know, I'm never going to do a pre-order again. That that is just such a pain. I'm just going to put the book out. Oh Screw really? That. I uh, oh yeah, Jesus, what a pain, man. I so what I wanted was for the books to be available when the audio book dropped. You know, the second mm-hmm. audio book. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, okay, a pre-order date of March first. So so the the ebook for Commune Three is is going to release on March first. What a lot of people don't know is that the print copy is already available. You can get that right now. Of the when third I, one. When I set up, yeah, yeah. When when I, when I set the damn thing up and and put it up there, uh, the their their publishing tools in in uh, uh, Amazon KDP or whatever it is, it's not it's not terribly straightforward. Well, either that or I'm just an obtuse moron, but. <laughs> I thought when I was putting the print book up that I the the date I was trying to set a publishing date for it, and I thought it was just going to take my ebook date, the launch date for March first. Oh, good, everything's going to come out on the same day. You know, the following day, hey, your print book's available. You can go get it now. It's like some of them, I didn't select that at all. And I go back and I try to play with the dates, and it doesn't look like I can I can ch- move the date around or change it. And at that point, I say, "Ah, screw it! It's up already. I don't care. Somebody's already bought a copy." So, yeah, pre-ordering is just lame. <laughs> there's there's no reason to do it outside of the fact that I I wanted it to come out at a specific time in tandem with with the audio book. I'm not going to bother doing that anymore. When the book is ready, I'm just going to put it out and let people get it. This right. is lame. Well, um, huh? Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, because I, I I actually just pre-ordered what, it. What you need to understand is that there's no great genius behind any of this stuff. It's just some ass with a laptop producing books. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, hey, do you hear from your readers very often? A lot more now, yeah. Really, I, I do. I do. Yeah. It's uh. It's, is that a good thing? Yeah, yeah, it, it it is. Um it's 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 strange. It's really weird for me. Um I I've, I've gone from a position of of hey, is anybody out there to goddamn, there's a lot of people out there. Uh <laughs> and and uh all all of my readers that that take the time to to reach out and contact me have been just incredible. They've been really great. And I don't I don't want to uh I don't want to sound like one of these you know these these uh, famous media assholes who is like, oh, I I, I love all the fans. I, I don't think of them as fans. I think of them as readers. Um, and and you know if they if they come and they I, I tend to interact with them a lot more on on my Facebook page. Mm. Uh, 
just because I'm a dinosaur and, and, and I understand how that works better. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the interaction on Facebook also seems to be more uh, of, of more quality and meaningful than what I've seen on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter is, is very um, fire and forget, you know. Yes. Whereas, whereas Facebook uh, feels like there's a lot, there, there's more meaningful interaction. And, and the people who do reach out, you know, I've gotten like one or two emails from fans, uh, or, sorry, readers who've, who've said, uh, you know, I really like what you're doing with the story. And I've, I've chatted with them back and forth. But for the most part, it happens on Facebook. And, and a lot of them are very um, intelligent, thoughtful people uh, that, you know, I, I talk to them and I'm, I'm interested in what they have to say. And I watch for things because they, they have really unique insights on things. So I like I like to hear that. Um, I was I was reading a lot of my book reviews for a while, just because uh, that that was really fun. That's very that's also a very strange experience if if you're just starting out and suddenly you get a book that that takes off pretty well because at first it's like <laughs> you you get like one review on on Amazon or something and it, and, it, and it's like a day to celebrate. Oh my God, somebody somebody read it and they liked it and they mm-hmm. said something. About it. My God. Um, and and there's there's a ton of ratings for the first book on on Audible now, and you know thankfully it's been um, resoundingly positive. There's been some people that hate it. <laughs> oh, there always <laughs> is. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but that was also fun for me because that was when I knew that the book was actually really getting some traction. Uh, you know, you get a bunch of people that say, "Oh, I love it! I love it! I love it!" It's like, okay, how many people do I know? I recognize right. you. I recognize you. You're not going to tell me if this is crap. Um, but there's there's people, and you know, the, uh, most of the people that that have had negative things to say about the book, they got a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I I like hearing what they had to say. You know, some some of them sound like like I've really ruined their day. Like I pissed them off. <laughs> But I, you know, I I can't help that. Um, but uh, I I've I've enjoyed the criticisms uh, as much as the positive comments uh, because if if you if you look at the criticisms correctly, you can turn that into a positive. You can look at, at ways to improve yourself based on that. Um, there's only been one poor review that I ever took issue with and, and actually went out of my way to respond to. And uh, that was somebody um, who had said that, well, first of all, they gave me a high review mm-hmm. for my first book. Came out and they said, oh, man, there's there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um, and then they came back after that a few days later and, and knocked it down to a very poor review. And they added on to it and said, well, except for the fact that this book is so short. And I got the audio book. And, and you have to pay a lot of money for an audio book. And I feel like because this book is a series, this is just such an obvious cash grab on the part of the author. It was it was just a way for him to to drive up the price on his readers. And I mean that I took issue with that just because it's 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 categorically untrue. When you do a royalty share deal with the Audio Connection Exchange (ACX), which is what Bob and I go through to uh, put our work up on Audible, as the as the producer or the author, you don't set the price. Audible sets the price. They tell you what the book is going to uh, be priced, and I have no idea how they how they select that price either. 
um, I've, I've tried to kind of look at other books of, of comparable length and, and figure it out, but it's, it, they, they've got some kind of secret sauce algorithm that I don't know about. No. But, the, but they set those values. So, I mean, like, I had nothing to do with that. And, you know, I, I wrote the first book the length that I thought it ought to be. The first book's a very simple story. There's not a lot of people in it. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was get them up to Jackson and, and done, and, and then we can start focusing on that other stuff. So I, I took issue with that. Anything else that people gripe about? Yeah, and you said this, too. When uh, you, you discussed the first book with me, you said, boy, there's a lot of gun stuff in there. And I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but... No, no, no. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I, I agree. There is, and you know what's so funny about that is that the things that some people take issue with and say, oh, my God, this ruined the book for me, those are the exact same things that other people come back and say, man, I really appreciated that you put that stuff in there mm-hmm. and that you got it right. And so, you know, on one hand, you try to make the best quality story that you can to, to please as many people as you can. Right. But on the other, if you try to keep everybody happy, you're just going to fuck it all up. It's mm-hmm. going to be a mess. Well, sure. Yeah. And so the best you can do is try to tell the story the best way you can. Mm-hmm. Like all the gun stuff, I, I agree that that was clumsy in the first book. Um, what I was trying to do was was um, I, w- I was trying to address a topic for for non gun people. Right. I wanted I wanted that to be clear. <clears throat> when you're living in a world like that, that's the kind of stuff that you have to start thinking about. But I did it in a massive dialogue dump, and I probably could have done that with more finesse and, and spread it out throughout the story. But it's also the first book I ever wrote. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. you know. yeah. So I, you know, I, I take that as a learning experience, and I, I like to think that the second book improves on that. There's, there's a little bit of it in the second book, but I think it's, it's handled more, um, more artfully. And then in, in the third book, there's, there's, we're, we're on to different things by that point. Mm. Uh, the, the. The, the intent of the series is that each book has a unique feel to it. The first book must feel very claustrophobic and small because, uh, you know, you have a small group of people that find themselves adrift in this big, wide-open world. And then in the second book, uh, it's, it's, it's opened up a little bit more, and there's this question of uh, group dynamics and, and resources running out very quickly, and, and how do you deal with that? And then the third book, we get into factions, mm. different factions, people in different groups competing for the same needs well i know one of the um and i know that was one of the things that i that i uh mentioned was um a lot of the gun stuff and you're right but but then you know uh when we had talked about it before i i think you did a really good job in the sense that you know you have these uh these people that have never even seen a gun in real life and so I think you did a really good job at showing, uh, how do I want to say it, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to fucking edit the shit out of this thing. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it. My all friend. my dead air. Um, showing how someone who is not familiar at all with this stuff having to basically learn how to use them. And I think you did a really good job with that when, when, you know, when you did that. And, um, but yeah. And then I noticed in the second book, there wasn't, there wasn't as much. And, uh, 
And, uh, you know, it, it certainly didn't ruin the first book for me at all. You know, the, the only thing that will ruin a book for me is lazy – I don't know if it's lazy writing or lazy editing, you know, where I don't know if sometimes writers just – you know, it's the first draft and they throw it on Amazon and it's just jam-packed full of – you know, typos and syntax, just every error you can possibly think of. And uh, that's the only time where, and, 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 and the unfortunate thing is that sometimes it's a really kick-ass story, but I just can't read it. It's, it's essentially impossible to read. It only takes one thing to ruin a story for someone, and it just depends on the person, you know. Mm-hmm. Like some, some people, man, I, I, like I've seen some reviews of, of people that didn't like the story, the first story. And and they said, man, it just feels like this guy's a gun guy. And I, I mean, I'm not. I, I know guys that are that are gun guys, and I'm I don't consider myself a big gun guy. I have I have firearms. I like to go out shooting, but uh, you know, there's there's guys. It seems like they've got a new AR every month, right? And I, I don't really get the money for that stuff. But yeah. I, it, it, for me, it was it was more a question of driving driving home this idea that. Uh, when when you're you're in this situation, this is the kind of stuff you need to worry about. And then the other thing that I was kind of having fun with in the first book was was you had uh, the characters like Billy and Jake and so forth making a lot of assumptions about something that they actually hadn't really had any experience with. Mm-hmm. There's a whole discussion about oh, the five five six round is just a twenty two. Mm-hmm. I love it's, that part that that interaction between the the whole shotgun versus AR yeah. thing. That was awesome. They, I really liked it. And then and then they go to work with the thing, and they find out that that you know with, within a certain distance a five five six round does some pretty horrific things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know Billy, who who you know just in the previous scene or chapter had had taken such such an authoritative tone about this round and, mm-hmm. and, and you know spoke from such a such a position of knowledge now he's he's looking at at this this situation in in reality and practice and saying oh my god i'm gonna have to rethink everything because i i, I clearly was missing a few points mm-hmm. and and you know, you, you see that a lot. You see that online when people get into these caliber debates and, and oh, 9 millimeter versus 45 and all oh, that. Oh, so, God. Yeah, and it's like, you know what, man? H- have you ever carried one of these things around for a living? Mm-hmm. No? Well, then why do I want to listen to you? Um, the whole shotgun thing, I mean, that's that's my dad. And my, my dad, um, he's he's very negative on the 5.56 five, round. He's not a fan at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the the guy lugged an M60 around in Vietnam. And, like, one of his favorite things to shoot out of the M60 were, were those uh, 762 piggyback rounds. Mm-hmm. Which I guess not a lot of guys back then were getting their hands on, but he could get his hands on it. Mm-hmm. But if, if he was he, if he was city, in the city, going, uh, you know, building to building, it was, he, he had to have a shotgun. He, he just, that was the right tool for the job as far yeah. as he was concerned. And there's a lot of guys now today that are the oh, no, you five five six five five six, and, you know. That's that's cool, man. I'm sure it's great, but my dad did it for a living with a shotgun, and and he came back alive, so he probably knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I, I I always think, you know, hey, you know what? Get about a hundred yards out there, get shot with one, and you tell me how ineffective it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? 
but whatever. I used to be pretty big on the on the in the firearms community uh, on the internet, and um, about I guess probably about five years ago, I completely left it because it was just nothing but full of you know mall ninjas and internet commandos you know and in the, the the caliber debates and you know that's stupid this is the best what i have is the best what you have is dumb and and it was just it was ridiculous it was immature it was ignorant and uh and, the internet that that everything turns into such a toxic fight all the time i know i know what the hell's wrong with us anymore i know and <laughs> you know and i try my best you know to try to keep to stay positive and you know i i mostly i'm mostly on twitter and and so but i tell you it's a fight man every day just not to just flame out and just <laughs> just rise above man rise i know above. i know i try but well uh let's let folks know where to find you um so let, let me see i've got to uh, my my uh my main website is uh, joshuagayu.wordpress.com. I think I've got that right. I don't. I don't know for sure, but <laughs> you, you, you can find me out there just by searching for Joshua Gayu, or if you look for uh, the Commune book series, you can find me on Audible. If you search for R.C. Bray, you can find my books under his name. Uh, if 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 you care enough to 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 look into the books that I'm writing, I'm sure you'll run into me. <laughs> all right well i'm going to be writing up a little blog post and i'm going to go ahead and, and throw all the links to all the places where folks can find you in there so okay all right joshua i think we're going to wrap this up all right my man thanks again for stopping by i really appreciate it i had a lot of fun i, I hope we could do this again sometime man yeah i think so all right all you wanderers out there till next time take cover take care